This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Coin Gaming. Stick around for more info about them later in the episode. What's up, everyone? I'm Charlie Shrem, and this is Untold Stories, where twice a week we dive deep with crypto's most influential leaders to find out how this movement truly came to be. The show is powered by BlockWorks Group, a media company with over 20 podcasts in their networks. Check them out, blockworksgroup.io. With that, today's guest is Roger Brown, who's a former special counsel with the IRS's national office, and now he's the head of tax and regulatory affairs at Lucatax. I also took to hit, talk to his partner, Robert Medarazzi, who is the CEO of the company. I had two people on the show and we had double trouble. It was great. We talked about deciphering the old tax code written long before his Bitcoin's existence, how to deal with, with unreported crypto gains. What if you invested in a scam coin? We talked about what the future of the IRS looks like. We went into tax-related questions and answers, like actual specific questions that you guys have. We talked about what the perfect way to deal with like-kind exchanges are when you're going from like selling Bitcoin to buy a house. Oh my God, there's so many topics. I don't want to get it all into it. You guys are going to love the show. I'm Charlie Sherman. You're listening to Untold Stories. So I'm here with Robert Matarazzi and Roger Brown from Luca Tax. Guys, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, our pleasure. I'm, I'm really pleasure. excited. This is like my second um, episode that I've done with, with more than one person. So we're going we're gonna to have fun and we're going to figure it out and, and go with the flow. Um, the, the timing is really, really interesting. It's July. Um, a lot of people like crypto and taxes has always, has always been something that um, in the early years was not like not talked about, but it wasn't at the forefront of conversation. But over the past few years, compliance and I'm being on top of that and then having uh, these various companies in the space to, to help people with their taxes. Um, it's really nice to see that come out and to make compliance a lot easier for people, because at the end of the day, most people want to deal with it uh, and pay their taxes and deal with it in the easiest way possible. But the question I have for both of you is like, Today we're here. It's July 2020. What, um, what not issues, but what uh, difficulties do crypto traders, Bitcoin traders, what difficulties do we still have today? What what part of compliance when it comes to taxes is still difficult for us on the on the crypto side of things, not on the on the regulatory side, on the other side of things, but from from a crypto industry, what what is still difficult for us to do? Yeah, I mean, I think that first uh, I'll, there's there's a couple debates on whether or not um, people believe that they need to pay their taxes yet, you know. Um, so I think that's that's one thing. There's just the educational piece, and then once once people do say, "Hey, I'm, I'm I need to figure out figure this out and and, and figure out how much I, I owe based on my crypto activity." Um, the, the data is very challenging. There's, there's a, a lack of standards across the industry. And so, um, what you end up with is all these different businesses that have, you know, varying reporting standards have varying information. And at the end of the day, even if they provide things like transaction reports and history, um, the data is still missing a lot of the characteristics that are required to ultimately, um, report your your taxes and, and add it up so i mean that's the the underlying problem and charlie i i would add that our tax code um the income tax was enacted in 1913 the first u.s income tax and there was a series of what they call revenue acts where every year the, the tax code was enacted that we sort of had a codification so now we've got tens of literally tens of thousands of pages of tax law in that Congress has enacted and uh, as the as well as at the government the IRS's and Treasury have issued regulations nowhere in those tens of thousands of pages is a reference to virtual currency um, the IRS has come out with a few pieces of guidance uh, one in 2014 uh, two more in 2019 um, that are informal in nature and not binding. So you've got the myriad of transactions that can happen in the digital asset ecosystem and that are unique, some of which do not occur and haven't occurred in other traditional asset classes. So you, you have, and that is a lot, created a lot of uncertainty around the treatment of 
many transactions where the few times that some the government has spoken, people think they got it wrong. Um, they've made statements in public forums and then backtracked on some of those statements. And as a result of that, there is this uncertainty around um, once you get past vanilla transactions, I sold crypto for cash, do I have income? And as Robert said, yes. There's many other transactions that there's just uncertainty around how you treat and file your taxes in certain instances, given the dearth of guidance. Is that a systemic issue? Because like 1913, and then it's just been like resolutions and resolutions and things. And I almost wonder like, why hasn't like the tax code been just completely rewritten to the more digital age that we've been living in in the past 20 years? Uh, Is that like a systemic thing with like when the internet first came out and they had to figure out how to tax transactions on the internet? Was it like, was it done kind of the same way where it was these informal I'm trying to I'm trying to create like comparisons between crypto now and other industries that didn't know how to be taxed before us it's a great question and I think the answer is the following um, the tax tax laws follows from bills are introduced in the house they go to the senate they have to agree on a version just the president signs um, and in many times there's interpretations of that issued by the Treasury Department and the IRS on what the statute has said. Um, Invariably, there's a lag between commercial activity and when um, the law catches up and writes rules around it. Debt instruments, for example, existed um, long before the United States existed. The United States comes and forms, and then we have in the 1960s, a unique area of rules come out in for debt instruments. Fast forward during my practicing career, because I was born in the '60s, not um, before that. Um, you then in the in the no, in you're the too young 90- to be born in the '60s. <laughs> um, uh, then you have a series of rules, uh, economic activity around derivatives ramps up, uh, swaps, etc., credit derivatives, and there were no rules. So banks and others were doing those in legitimate commercial activity. Nobody's questioning whether it was a real valid reason to have okay. derivatives. Yeah. And then all of a sudden now, years later, you have people catching up with um, the writing the rules around derivatives. And still there's major holes in the area for covering derivatives. So just an example where there's a lag between government learning about the commercial activity, understanding it, then feeling comfortable enough in their understanding the right rules to address it so that they're not creating in effect holes that people can drive trucks through, but also not stifling inappropriately um, the, the valid commercial activity around it. So there's like a perfect, almost uh, harmony, harmonious, like uh, um, balance where the, the tax code and uh, from the regulatory and government side needs to get better. But at the same time, uh, our industry, our companies in the space and our people and folks like me need to educate and to bring people closer to like being able to make it easier to do like a like a self-reporting thing or software. For example, I you know, you guys are familiar with what happened in Coinbase and I want to talk with Coinbase with the IRS with two, I think it was like 2015 that they said they want everyone. Sorry, in 2016 or 2017 or 2017, the IRS basically went and said to Coinbase, we want a list of everyone who um, traded in these years so we can see who didn't pay their taxes. And in fact, I want to ask your opinion because I know Jim Harper is now suing the IRS saying that's like a, a violation of his of, of his free speech. But I think it's a problem that the industry, our industry could have solved. Like if Luca Tax and other companies was around back then, maybe the IRS wouldn't have felt they needed to do that. What do you think about that? Robert, you want yeah. me to take that or you want that? Both. Yeah, I'll just start. And then I think, yeah, I mean, you're, but the, I mean, I'll say the, you know, Bitcoin was, was invented and was accessible to the public in 2011. And the, the and a whole, this whole ecosystem that is worldwide across borders with tons of businesses and, and it's, it's very material. A lot of people don't realize it has existed here. And has has adapted without any of the standard setters or the laws or the regulations, you know, other than the ones that already existed, um, that maybe didn't specifically call out cryptocurrency or crypto assets. And so you've got this 
what we have today that's evolved without all those standards. And now you've got all the standard setters that are coming in and saying, wow, this is big enough where we need to pay attention. We need to actually figure this out, do it the right way, mitigate risk. Honestly, a lot of it, I think, is in the best interest of the, the individuals, provided it's done the right way. Um, but you're going to have some friction, I guess, is my point. Um, and, and you're going to have debates and, and, and whatnot. Um, you know, I know, you know, based on my observations of all the big exchanges in the U.S., you know, honestly, most of them are, are, uh, are cooperating and collaborating with regulators and, and the IRS and, and whatnot. Yeah, I was uh, talking to the CEO of Chain Analysis on the show last week, and we had the same conversation about that. He yeah. said there's a huge amount of collaboration and working togetherness. Um, and I asked him, I said, I said, when you get your, your, your clients, right? Um, and Roger, I, 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 I want to hear your answer too, but when you, what, uh, when you get these, these clients, are they coming from like a point of like hostility and anger or is it more of it like we want to figure this out and we think this person's not paying his taxes or we think this person is, was trying to hide something or we don't and we need to you know, verify it or whatever? Is it coming from a place of hostility? Like Bitcoin is sucks, it's all for criminals, it's a scam? Or do you, is it coming from a place of like, he said he gave me his answer was basically, no, I'll give you an example. Like we had someone came from us from the FBI and he's like, oh, yeah, um, we're looking for this Russian hacker and the money. Um, we need you to we want to hire you guys. But my son mines Bitcoin. He mines Ethereum, too. So it's like you kind of see that nowadays. Right. I mean, I'll, I'll come in real quick. And then, you know, the I'd say particularly a company like Chain Analysis, which is attribution. And, you know, they're 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 a different slice of, you know, a little bit different from what we're doing. Um, naturally they're going to be in conversations where you're talking about these, yeah. you know, bad actors and whatnot more than we are. We're usually dealing with people that are trying to pass an audit, trying to generate a financial statement, trying to strike nav if they're a fund. So, I mean, we're, we're dealing with just your very normal business processes, but with very complex data challenges. And we're, we're helping our clients and our customers clean up the data so they can do stuff that honestly we're already used to doing. Um, so that's kind of where Lucas sits in the puzzle, right? So we don't, I, I don't, you know, personally hear other than just the random comments here and there that you hear about the, you know, the, yeah. the various, you know, um, you know, history that, that Bitcoin was involved in, but, you know, honestly, how much was us dollar used in illicit activity and still is today. You know? Yeah. So, so Charlie, my, my thought on your question is, um, it, there's there's a lot of learning that you get when you read the GAO report, the Government Accounting Office report on crypto. Oh, yeah. It came out a few months ago, and basically the government was was reading Coinbase's press reports. They have 30 million KYC users, um, but the tax return data that the IRS had had only several hundred people reporting crypto in their tax return. So you don't have to be a math whiz to say there's yeah. a big difference between 30 million and a couple hundred. <laughs> so, so the question is there, you know, why is that? But was it, it that and, they weren't paying taxes on their crypto or is it more of like, I know someone said, yeah, I just reported it all as consulting. I still paid short term capital gains, but there was no way to like pay crypto taxes back then. Yes. So, so, I mean, if you got paid in crypto, um, you know, that wouldn't have been a transaction involving Coinbase because, you know, oh, your yeah, consultant, point. your consultant just pays and that's it. It's W2 wages. And if you get paid in a bouquet of tulips or cash or crypto, all of that is income based on their fed value when you get it. There's nothing unique about that. Um, from the, from the Coinbase situation, you know, I'm a believer that the vast majority of people um, comply and pay tax. The point one. Point two, there are some people, some amount of people are not going to pay tax. They want to cheat. And that's a small number, but that those people do exist. It's just they um, exist, yeah. It, it exists. Point three, people are used to preparing taxes by getting the forms that are sent to them as information reporting, um, um, uh, W-2s, 1099s, et cetera. And they take that, they upload it in their software provider uh, to their software program. They give it to their accountant and the accountant then does it, the software does it, and they're done. That's that's the norm. Um, brokerage, they get 1099s on their brokers, statements, um, et cetera. Um, now fast forward to crypto. Um, the rules, quite frankly, didn't work well for crypto. Number one, the IRS kind of um, was less than clear in how the 1099 rules work for exchanges um, when they put out the 2014 notice. 
They only refer to 1099 misses when contractors get it, or they refer to 1099Ks um, where uh, they're really for the Uber slash credit card, credit card processing. They really didn't refer to the right form or yeah. a form for exchanges. So in that light, people just, many exchanges just didn't do 1099 reporting because of the because because of there's actually a, a technical reason also in the way the IRS has written the 1099 rules um, that th- there was a, I would say a, a legal basis for the exchanges not to do 1099 reporting um, both and this from, is when you go from one crypto to another a 1099 exchange is that what we're talking about um, a 1099 is a f- information form that okay. a um, uh, it, on these facts, an ex, a broker or an exchange gives um, both the government as well as the taxpayer um, where they have traded in an asset and um, they either for cash, they've sold an asset for cash or they've sold an a, one crypto asset for another crypto asset um, where the broker would then give that it, saying, hey, here's your basis. Here are your proceeds. This is the amount. Put that on your tax return. That's in effect. Yeah, the exchanges now know they they have a button now that says you can export your tax data. But for example, what if you deposited Bitcoin there? How do they does that calculate it as a purchase price at that point you deposit? It's a great it's a great question. Yeah, it's, we're going in the rabbit is, hole now. No, no, no. It, it's a great question, and you're you're touching on exactly the kinds of thing that Robert, I, and Luca, and others deal with is because. That 1099, that tax reporting data in the crypto space, and this is where crypto is different than other traditional financial assets, many exchanges just have incomplete data because the asset that I sold on that exchange, I may not have bought on that exchange, or I may take assets off the exchange and move them to cold storage, move them to a custodian, move them to another exchange for selling, and therefore the exchange doesn't know all the times I've sold an asset, they don't know all the times I've I've purchased an asset. So they don't know my basis. They don't know my proceeds. And in light of that, the 1099 reporting that would exist would be broken. So we, this goes back earlier in terms of how the tax code and regulations catch up to the ecosystem. The ecosystem has moved to pursue valid commercial activity and it's moved so fast. The tax rules haven't caught up. So these 1099 rules that uh, which are just reporting rules haven't caught up so that if you were to apply them as written, um, you would get gobbledygook coming out and you'd have inappropriate audits of taxpayers um, on basis information, sales information that would be wrong. So that doesn't help the ecosystem. It doesn't help the government. And the government is struggling with that. And they're actually have publicly said that they're going to come out with regulations this year to address tax reporting on this form 1099 and, and crypto. But, but they are not going to deal with the fact that um, the core ecosystem problem of core inputs into tax calculation will be wrong because no single exchange knows the complete history of many of the people that trade on their exchange. You think about it this way, you know, you've got all these, just like your example is perfect, right? It's probably the most common situation that that occurs, I I would say, is is fair. And if you have a deposit, it could be from one of your own accounts or it could be from a third party, right? Your, Your buddy that you bought something from. If it's from a third party... Um, then generally there's going to be some type of a tax consequence going on there. Um, and you, you know, you could have acquired the asset instead of just moved your own assets between your accounts. Kind of like if you had a Wells Fargo and a bank of America account and you're transferring money between the two, you're not going to have a tax obligation. Um, however, if you're wiring money, you know, to someone else, um, there's, there's probably some type of circumstance, whether it's a gift or or whatever. So we help the users categorize all that as part of our software process, for example, but they have to be part of that puzzle. The exchange has no idea what the circumstances were. Now they can draw some conclusions maybe in certain situations. And we know that when you're exchanging one cryptocurrency for another, there's definitely a taxable event there, right? But in some of them, there aren't. So we take like all of the data, we say, hey, here's all the events that we know are taxable situations and what the repercussions are. Here's all the ones where 
you have to categorize this and help us with it. And then we help them apply the right tax rules based on how they're labeling it and then ultimately produce a tax form. Um, and so that's kind of like at a very, very high level how, yeah. how we so, solve that challenge. So basically you have, let's just say you have a guy named David and he's the average crypto trader. He's been in, he's, 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 felt, he's just completed a final tax year. He's done a full tax year. He trades on Coinbase and he trades on an international exchange in Russia that doesn't do reporting. And then he trades on a European exchange that does have European standard level re- reporting. Then the same guy, David, also trades altcoins. I'm just making this up. And then it's all good. David likes to buy things on the internet with Bitcoin. And he also likes to accept he's a personal trainer and people pay him in Bitcoin in real life. So now you have all these different puzzle pieces, David included. How, how, how can David then come to you and say, help me? There's no question that crypto and gaming have gone hand in hand since the early days of Bitcoin when it first launched. And in fact, that's what really drove mass adoption. Companies like BitCasino, which is the first ever licensed Bitcoin casino, and brands like Sportsbet.io. I mean, it's the reason people are using crypto and Bitcoin today. Fun, fast, and fair. When you're using uh, blockchain-based gaming, make sure you require that they are fair because there's no reason that they shouldn't be transparent because everything can be seen on the blockchain. Coin gaming is so cool. It's an ecosystem of brands, products, and people that are serious not just about shaking up the gaming industry, but also the crypto industry. These guys have been around since the early days of Bitcoin. The CEO of Coin Gaming used to actually mine for Bitcoin and, and use the Bitcoin miner to heat his home in Estonia. I mean, those go down to like negative 25 degrees. So if you're, if you're cool about driving crypto awareness together, if you got a question or you just want to connect with their team of like dreamers and doers, the whole community, make sure you check them out coingaming.io, play some of our games, sportsbet.io, or BitCasino, fun, fast, and fair. I'm Charlie Sherman. We'll talk to you guys right in a minute. Yeah, so what we do is we apply tax rules to the circumstances from a software perspective. Put it all together for them. If, if this situation happens, then we're going to do this. So this creates a capital gain or this creates income. And some of them are very straightforward, we, we believe, even though there might not be like very firm rules or guidance out on it. Um, and then other situations are, are much more debatable, but I'd say that as far as the population is concerned, you know, like those are, those are more rare today anyway. Um, generally there's one of two things, there's going to be ordinary income or there's going to be a capital gain or loss. And the capital gains and losses are very, very common under us tax tax rules. And that's what we see predominantly because what's happened is even though Bitcoin was designed and even, you know, called a cryptocurrency, um, most of these currencies aren't really being um, utilized yeah. as we would traditionally consider to be a currency, and they're just being traded for each other so that people can can profit off of their trading activity. Um, now, there are a lot of the payments and the payments for goods, but I mean, still, how many stores and vendors out there, you know, accept Bitcoin as payment, for example? It's exactly pretty rare. I mean, there, I wanna, there, are, there are some big names, but I want to I want to run through like not some scenarios, but um, some kind of high level. Uh, tax related stuff that that I have questions about that I know I'm going to pick your brains for free here because you're on my show. From your, uh, is this from when you did your tax return and you're just well yeah well let me get my return really quick no because <laughs> you know most of us do uh, is that we literally go to our accountant we export all of our credit card statements all of our exchange reports all of our OTC reports all of our bank re- accounts and it's like a stack like this big right. I go to my accountant to charge hundreds of dollars an hour I just did it for last year and we literally have to go through it I have to go through it line yeah. by line circle I what's hired this? Roger because nah, what's I just, this I just, like line I, by line wait I, hold I, on you I, you I, bought you bought crypto but then you sold half of it for this other I'm like it's crazy I know it's it's crazy but it is what it is we have to do it so so wait I want to run ask you a quick question so um, a few quick questions. If I own Bitcoin, not me, but if someone owns $100,000 worth of Bitcoin and they want to buy a house, which is what a lot of people are doing today, can they apply like that? I thought it was 1099, but is it 1031 exchange? Can that be applied to that? Like not having to pay capital gains taxes on the Bitcoin if you're then using that money to buy a house? You well, just made Roger's day, I think. Because this <laughs> is- say no. So um, I'm going to shut up and let and let Roger answer this question. Okay. Because I did, um, and I paid the taxes on it, and I want to know if I can go back now and 
and recommend my return. I'm just joking, Roger. I won't go on your word. Yeah, it's um, um, so you you you've heard this phrase. You're touching on this like kind exchange. Yeah, and, that's what it is. Like kind exchange. Yeah. Yeah, and um, prior to 2017, um, and the law changed. Um, you could trade like kind assets for like kind assets, and intangibles did qualify. Companies would put together a portfolio of patents or software at copyrights and exchange them, and that could be tax-free. So some people believe, and we actually have hired um, some outside counsel uh, to confirm um, our, our own views. Um, you know, just to digress a bit. Yeah, we're a software company um, and a data company um, and a pricing company. Um, but we don't want to dictate certain things. We want to allow users to have certain flexibility within reasonable positions. So we've hired a bunch of people to give us uh, um, documents on when like-kind exchange rules work, for example. And we have hundreds of other topics we've identified, literally hundreds. Um, so we've said, hey, what's, is there a position to say that you could trade crypto asset A for crypto asset B prior to 2018 um, and not pay tax? And the answers have been, yes, there is a position. And if you go to RucoLibrary.com, RucoLibrary.com, you'll see papers on there written by some learned practitioners um, who will say exactly, yes, there's a position. And here's the, the analysis are on there, pre-2018. The reason I say that, pre-2018, because in 2017, the Tax Act that was passed says you can only do like-kind exchanges on real estate. So um, was that because of crypto or was it because of software no. and patents and other people? It has nothing to do with crypto. Um, it, it is it is just a revenue raiser. Um, I have raiser. to go back to look at the legislative history that really motivated it. But, but people could do trucks for trucks, um, paintings for paintings. I mean, there was all kinds of like kind of exchange and the rules were very complex that people would do. Um, and the government wanted to restrict it. Um, so they limited only to real estate. So any trade that occurred 2018 and later, you have no position. 2017 um, and earlier, you do have a position. Um, look at Google Library and you'll see the authority for that. Um, and, the, um, um, and our software allows for the flexibility so the user can choose whether something is a taxable event or not. Um, but but on your exact oh, pattern, when I use crypto for a house, that was never a like-kind exchange. Because crypto and a house are too too different. They're not like kind. Of are you guys an advisory service too? Like, can someone come to you and, and hire you guys as like uh, to create um, not do tax returns, but to create like opinion letters and things like that? Because I know people who um, have these like they're worried, like they want to buy that five million dollar condo um, or whatever, but they're afraid to sell. They don't know. How, it's not that they're afraid to sell the Ethereum or the Bitcoin. I'm thinking of like one friend specifically who just called me about the same exact issue. He's in Canada though. So it's a little bit different. And he wants to sell a lot of Ethereum that he got from the crowd sale. So like years ago for a condo now, $5 million around, but he's like, doesn't know how to sell the condo for her majesty's you know, tax, tax code or whatever it is up there. Uh, he doesn't know how to do it. So assuming that he was in America, um, it would still be something that people fear because you're selling he, the profit on that Ethereum was just immense. Uh, and so I, I didn't know what, what to tell, like my thoughts now, were. Now there are, I miss so the crowd. We, we're a software you? data pricing company. We don't give opinions as such, even though I've spent my career giving tax advice uh, about 10 years after the IRS. So then I give advice to agents and then the remaining number of years, I would just give advice to people we're not gonna issue opinions like that. Our products allow flexibility for people to take learned positions. Um, this Google library documents, um, lib this, this thought leadership database does have many opinions like that, um, but you're not gonna be able to rely on those opinions as such, but you'll see the arguments that number one, you could take your own position on your return or you can contact the authors because the author's name and are written by the authors as oh, okay. such. Um, I would tell you that um, you know people do and FAQs have called up and say, how do I do this? An example for is um, somebody stole, my, I invested in a, 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 a scam. How do I use your tool to do that? And there we can say, here's how you can use our tool and um, our, our, our programs and report that as an ordinary loss instead of a capital loss. 
And here's the way an ordinary loss is always better for you because that way you can always take that as a deduction. But if it's a capital loss, you can't, you can only take it against capital gains. Yeah. $3,000. So we can help you in that regard, but we're not going to write you a formal opinion as an accountant or a law firm. There's always these, and that's, I think the biggest fear, not fear, but the, the concern is that things trigger other things when it comes to your taxes and how you do business and how you do reporting. Like you just said, um, like a scam coin or a loss coin. Like, how do you, do you deal with with uh, airdrops or scams? How do you deal with unreported? Like a few years ago, you realize that uh, I forgot to report this, and you're scared. Um, and then, what about that guy who just took a million dollars in stimulus money for his barbecue shop, and then ended up buying Bitcoin with it? And got, what did he think he was going to get away with that? Like, what's the the thinking in that? Or did he well, just make enough money to like pay it back? I mean, you outline a number of things. I know. I'm um, sorry. No, no, and it's 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 proper. I mean, the, the, for this, the stimulus money, for example, is you can take the stimulus money and you could use it for things perhaps that are not for what it was intended, but then you have consequences to pay it back <laughs> um, because it's not forgiven. It's then it's just a pure loan. Yeah. Sort of the first resting point. The the, the second resting point is that if you um, t- take a position on your return, uh, say for example, I had. Um, an event, an an airdrop, and the government has issued guidance on an airdrop, and you don't agree with it, you can say, they say it's taxable once once it it hits. Some people don't agree with it. Um, We have hired people um, that have written for us to say there's positions not to include it into income, Um, and therefore, um, I'm going to file my return on that basis, and here's an article um, in local library that supports that, and that's the way I'm going to use your products. Um, So those are ways you could do that. Um, if, however, let's say you made a mistake, uh, because an airdrop happened or something happened in 2016, you may say, well, am I still exposed? And you'll go and look, there's a, there's a paper on this in local library. You know, you have no legal obligation to file an amended return. So if you make a mistake in a prior year, um, you could say, I'm just going to live with that and hope I don't get caught. What are the consequences? Number mm-hmm. one, if you do get caught, the government is summonsing exchanges, um, and there have other ways also to find out. Then um, you could be hit with much more serious penalties. So you really get the the risk yeah. calculus is greatly increased by not going back and and correcting a prior error. Um, and I'm assuming it was an error. If it was intentional, because they can prove fraud, then there's never a statute of limitations. They can always come back and get you. Um, can you so repeat you have that exposure. again? That's very so important if, for people. So if the government can prove fraud and what you did was an intent not to pay taxes and you knew you had a lot of tax liability, and in 2014 they did say that um, mm-hmm. in their notice, they, there's never a statute of limitations that ends. You always um, um, are exposed. If you didn't, were not fraudulent, didn't have bad intent, and you misstated your income by 25%, um, then the statute of limitations is six years from the date you filed your return. So all of the 2015, 2014, et cetera, um, tax years are still open, they can come and audit you. Um, And then the normal statute is three years from the date you file your return. But again, if you just made a plain mistake, and I'm a believer that many people are not trying to cheat, um, you know, it's a normal three-year statute, but at the same time, anything, any, any aspect of your portfolio that's relevant to a current year, they could always go back and adjust. So if you didn't take something in income, they may say, well, your basis is zero. Hmm. Or but even though that basis occurred in a prior year, I'm going to say today because you didn't take something into account it's inappropriate. They can always go back and adjust a current year item for something that may have happened in a prior year that they couldn't get to. Robert, why did you start this company? I mean, it's just, you're, it's just a, uh, so much like your tax, your, so, regulatory affairs. I mean, I, I'm talking to Roger now and I, Roger, I'm writing, I'm writing more notes for my personal and for like questions that I can re-ask you than, than the words that you're even saying. Like, it's just so much, but it's like, I need closed wrappers, closed, closed ended, like going to sleep at night with everything. There's so much uncertainty. 
how do you guys sleep at night? <laughs> well, I mean, to start, I didn't, I did not start Luca. Um, I've been, I've been with the company almost two years now. Um, and, uh, but I can tell you, um, I mean, you know, our, our, the, the founder of Luca did start it simply because he was trying to do the right thing back in 2014 and he had a Bitcoin gain and, uh, and he was trying to figure out how to pay his capital gains on that, on, on his Bitcoin investment. Um, and we kind of joke around and say he was the only person in the, in the country that was trying to do it at the time. Um, and so well, he created wish. the retail products to, to help with that initially. Um, but as you kind of alluded to, people weren't focused on that. And I mean, as Roger just expressed with evidence on how many people actually paid, you know, historically, it was a pretty low number, definitely not something to build a business around. Um, so what we did is we actually pivoted in 2017 to service more businesses and institutions. There was a huge wave of crypto funds that had been created at the time. Um, and those are still, um, proliferating. And so I have a question about that. That's our core business is the business. So actually the crypto exchanges and the OTC desks, mining operations, all of those, that's actually our core customer segment. We're not a tax company. As, as Roger mentioned, we're a software and data and we'll do anything from, you know, to assist with the data requirements that get customers to completing financial statements, to striking NAV, to doing, and taxes is just one of those many outputs. And obviously there's a big retail focus on tax, which is why, you know, that's been a lot in the media. And that's why we created Luca Tax specifically. Um, But we are a lot, a lot broader than that. At at our core, we're, we're a data company. So. so you're working with institutions a lot and, and, and a lot of businesses exchanges. Um, and I've been hearing for many years that uh, the institutions are coming and the funds and the, the teacher's pen, you know, the joke is when a teacher's pension fund invests in Bitcoin, we've mainstreamed, <laughs> you know, um, what type of like tax regulatory clarity does the teacher's pension fund need to invest in, to allocate even a half a percent in Bitcoin? This is a great question. I mean, geez, I love Roger. I mean, I, I don't see, I mean, there isn't anything preventing them from doing that today. Really? I thought there was like this, just, they were like worried for tax and regulatory, like tax related reasons. They were, these funds in general were still worried to come in because they, they don't know how to deal with it on the, on the other end because that they could be potentially like, lose their government like funding from auditing and things risk. like that. Sorry. Yeah. That might be more like investment risk or, or just, you know, people's just, just their ignorance on just how, how to actually acquire Bitcoin or obtain it or a fear based on security or rumors they read. But I don't think that it's, it's, uh, you know, a compliance or, or a regulatory issue. I and mean, yeah. You know, I, I, I would, I would say the following now in many fund documents, um, pension documents, et cetera, they outline their investment strategy and, um, you know, it's bonds, equities, debt instruments, et cetera. And there's oftentimes an, an other category. And the, in the other categories, crypto could easily be fit within that. So what then is the hesitation? You know, if anything is new, and most of the people I would say who are active in the crypto space are probably under 50. Um, most, obviously not all. Um, yeah. And in light of that, it takes time for the new asset class to be understood by people who are decision makers, who are decision makers in the more traditional financial institutions. But as people see the returns and the returns from crypto assets um, has been and outperformed for for some digital assets, traditional financial securities, and traders make income or make money on volatility. They can make money on the short, they can make money on the long. And as a result of that, it is attracting people's asset, interest in the asset class because the asset class, say, for example, why people invest in gold, people invest yeah. in oil, they invest in, they don't, they don't invest in those things because they want to necessarily get some sort of ethereal benefit or advantage out of owning gold or owning, owning oil. They want it because of the economic returns associated with owning that. So if those same Is that the same as speculation? I would think, I think, yes, I think, I think, yes, the speculation, you think the price is going to go up and therefore you're going to invest in it, or you think it's going to go because down, that's... you'll take a short position and you'll invest in the opposite side of it. And but what's the difference so... between speculating on something and buying it for an economic return down the road? Like every asset I'm buying for an economic return down the road. I mean, now we're getting well, into like SEC, CFTC related stuff. 
you're, um, you're, you're right, but you're actually touching on what the tax law distinguishes. The tax law has there's there's three kinds of people who make money on assets. Number one, dealers. Dealers make money on fees by acting as a middleman. They don't care what the market does. They just want to stand between buyers and sellers. Number two, traders. Traders make money on short-term market movements on the long or the short. If it goes down, they want to be short. If it's, if it's long, they want to be up and they will take a short-term movement. Investors. Investors are in it for long-term appreciation. Um, and they don't want to go down because they want the long-term appreciation. In crypto, like all financial assets, and those, those definitions I just shared with you are tax case law definitions that have come out and have been there for decades. Those definitions are no different for crypto or for financial assets because it's people who, in effect, are having an economic activity, an investment activity, a trading activity on the asset and making an economic return. And I don't think that um, crypto really is any different than other and any of those other asset classes. And I think the trend actually is for the regulators to agree with that as the SEC gets comfortable applying the existing rules on registering securities um, uh, should apply to crypto in this way, and they're treating crypto like a security in that way, and the CFTC treating crypto as a commodity and wrapping and blessing crypto futures, crypto options, et cetera, and approving crypto funds. So those are actually occurring um, as, as you know, if it's new. Um, it's becoming adopted in a way that um, I think any new technology, and if you think about music, it really happened this way. When music started becoming digitized, um, it didn't happen all at once. It happened with a gradual, you know, records and tapes, and there was Napster, and then Napster related to some streaming services. And now I would say 90 plus percent of people, 99% of people listen to their music by streaming it. And it, it, but it happened, didn't happen overnight. It happened Listen, over in your, time. In your analogy, and I think of crypto. In your analogy, one day, 90% of the world will be using crypto and only 10% of the world will be using the old fiat banking system. In a world uh, like I, that, yeah. we have a very yeah. different tax collecting service. Um, let's just call it the IRS. Um, what does, I mean, and this could be a larger question for you, for you both. What does a, 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 a more efficient, better tax collecting uh, uh, institution and law look like other than what we have now? What is a, because be- everyone is saying we need to reform the tax code, you know, get rid of the IRS, get something like, okay, but what does that, like, what does that actually mean? This is like the only, our government's only revenue stream except for printing money. We can't just like change it. We need to, it needs to be discussed. So what, what ideas do people have? You don't hear anything. A value added tax? Like, I don't know if that's our solution. I mean, look at, you know what what china's doing with its uh you know all the publicity about it it uh tokenizing its yep. its national currency you know there's fed coin project in the united states no i have no idea how how close or, or far away it is um from uh from going into production but i mean all those topics create very very interesting debates i think on how that goes out i mean if the u.s dollar was tokenized so that, you know, and, and, uh, um, it could enable all kinds of efficiencies potentially if it was done correctly, um, including like automated tax collecting. I mean, maybe we wouldn't even have to file it. That would be the best thing ever. It just actually when you conduct a transaction, you know, double-edged sword. I mean, but this is all like now we're, we're speculating. Um, and, uh, and it is, uh, um, but they're really interesting topics. And I mean, at the end of the day, like what we're talking about here, is you know and i kind of push back when people say this is a new asset class like i just think like this is this is new technology like roger mentioned you know and is in the napster example and when you have new technology it facilitates all different types of events and circumstances and and hopefully that'll that that is enabling right now new asset classes um i mean the thing that really excites me in the future and like actually the reason kind of get back to a question you asked earlier why i joined luca because i i was honestly new to crypto assets and blockchain and, and all these topics um, was, you know, we can apply this technology to so many other asset classes that are traditionally not liquid, such as real estate. And if you do that and you do it on a large scale around the world, 
Um, I mean, it makes, it, it makes how we think of purchasing and selling real estate or any of these other less liquid assets totally different. Um, you know, imagine you can buy a small piece of a building in Manhattan with $15 on a website, um, or you could buy it in a foreign country where today, I mean, how would you go buy a, you know, a building in Europe without traveling there? You know, I don't, I'm trying actually, uh, you need to have someone who you trust to do a handshake deal with. That's literally the only, right. The only efficient, financially efficient way is to do that. And then once it's all done, then you do all the paperwork and everything. But it's hard, and one of the reasons I've I've been real I don't own any assets out of the U.S. And one of the reasons I've never done that, even holding a bank account, is because of that fear. Another fear. It's like, um, and 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 Roger, is this true? Like, if 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 you check, is it true that there are certain check marks on your tax return that if you say yes to, it's automatic, like puts you in another division where you're going to be potentially audited. Like if you own, like if you have a bank account overseas, you know, that's one of the reasons I've never even you know, wanted to buy something for overseas because of the fear of how do you, how are you looked at by the government down the road? A couple of things. Um, the IRS does have a proprietary risk assessment um, process uh, that it's They need to open on, source that. Uh, <laughs> uh, to, to, to my knowledge, they, they haven't made it public. Um, and I did not know what it was when I was at the IRS. Um, so, so it must be on a need to know basis. Yeah. Um, so, so they do have a risk assessment um, tool where they go out and um, uh, do trigger returns. They also have a random process. Um, and I know people who were not economically well off who were selected for audit. So there's mm. random and then there's risk assessment. Um, I think also it's, you know, when you asked a question a few minutes ago around, you know, what is, should there be an IRS? What does the IRS mean um, um, in the future of digital assets? Um, you know, th there are bespoke digital assets like Bitcoin, where that's the thing. You've then you have stable coins where you're effectively digitizing uh, either uh, a referenced asset where it's acting as collateral, where I think then it's a much more efficient way to own yen, own a real estate, own debt instruments, et cetera, getting exposure. And then you have algo-based stable coins where they're basically um, a, an economic representation, but they're not actual ownership of the thing. You know, I think those technologies um, are very different from the question of should there be an IRS and what there is. The IRS is, in my view, indifferent as to um, and not against digital assets. They just want to, in effect, write rules that make sense for this economic activity that's occurring. They don't have a view, to my knowledge, um, and it, we've just had many discussions with that the IRS sense, yeah. sharing points of view on digital assets. They just want to know to give people advice as to say and write rules around the tax consequences of economic activity in digital assets to understand those and also put in place an information reporting framework. So going back to your question of how do I deal with report all this stuff, they're struggling with that themselves because they realize that the information reporting system is broken and they wanted to help fix it. And they're not exactly sure how, given the statutory framework that they do have, because it wasn't built for the diversity of economic activity. And oh, I'll just say one point. more point is, yesterday I was giving a lecture to a university on tax um, and accounting. And I said that I could literally teach a course on almost all aspects of income tax from the perspective of crypto, because every economic activity, financial activity I can think of that it ex exists with some part of the ecosystem and digital assets, whether it's mining, whether it's staking, whether it's buy sells, whether it's installment sales, whether it's crypto lending, crypto derivatives, crypto back debt, you name it. I mean, it is so diverse that it really embraces all aspects of the ecosystem. And when you say that, that with a tax code that doesn't reference digital assets anywhere, you're going to have instances where the tax law just falls short in addressing it and other instances where it addresses it because it's a general category, general asset, then, okay, you buy, you buy or sell it for cash, you know the consequence. But there's many other instances where you don't. So we can apply uh, like various uh, economic activity that the IRS has written uh, tax code for in, in the past. We can apply some of that to uh, how we deal with economic activity within crypto and that. Yes. 
it's it's a whole nother ecosystem, right? It's not just an asset class. It's almost like it's another economy that is existing within an economy. Yes. So you know that's what? how it has it, to be looked at. It has been that way. And I think that right now we're on the cusp of it merging with, with what we consider our, our traditional one. I mean, it's, it's, there's that a indication around that. I mean, for example, the OCC, you know, announced yesterday, um, the, uh, it's, it's guidance on natu- nationally chartered banks, um, and they're, uh, allowing them essentially to cut yep. the cryptocurrency. You know, that's a huge, huge development in the ecosystem. I've been kicked out of every bank in New York. Yeah. I mean, but that's now the traditional financial services system merging with this one that was fairly isolated. And we're seeing there's a ton of other symptoms and that's what really we're right in the middle of. And that's one of the very exciting things about that is because it is the, you know, the traditional financial services system, you know, catching up to this technology finally. Well, I think, um, the time of year and where we are in our space and, and what you guys have been working on. Thank you for constantly putting the message out. Both of you guys coming on my show. Thank you for, for sponsoring and for um, contributing to the economy. I know some of my friends, podcasts and newsletters, you guys uh, sponsor. So, so thank you for that because it's important to get this message out and for people to know that you guys exist. And um, Roger, would you think it's fair to say that, um, the IRS just wants you to try your hardest and it's not going to be always a black and white thing. And if, as long as you continue to, to do your best and without negative intent, then you'll be okay. Um, from penalties. Yes. Um, they would not penalize you, um, for that. Um, most likely you'd probably have a defense against it, but trying hard and getting the number wrong is not a defense to if they if the facts are clear and they see you owe tax, um, trying to do really well, um, you still doesn't, gotta pay. It doesn't protect you. It's not like fifth grade math that just because you did a math problem and tried and and you get it wrong, it's still wrong. Yeah, but will you go to jail? No. Oh, no. because that's that's what that's the fear. Like uh, no. people, no. you know, have. So, I mean, anyways, guys, listen. We're not giving we're not giving tax advice. That's not yeah. what we do. But, but, well, I'm going to give advice. I'm going to say, do your taxes. That's it. The show's over, guys. That's good advice. And, 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 it's, it's, and use Luca tax to help taxes, you do it. But, 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 but <laughs> there, there are standards for what is criminal intent. And um, um, I've been a lawyer for a long time and very familiar with uh, tax law. Um, and I, I tell you that if, if you're trying to comply and just make a mistake, uh, that's not what people view to be criminal intent. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks a lot, Charlie.